And when I spelled goblins wrong. How'd you spell it? Golbins. Golbins. Pretty it's golbins. A- I don't get it. a podcast about performances in Edmonton. I'm Paul. And I'm Fonda, and we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. We got a real humdinger of an episode this week, Fonda, I would say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we finally saw Betroffenheit. Mm-hmm. That's right. It finally it finally happened, uh, and we're going to get to that. We're going to get to the review of Betroffenheit, but first... There is a lot of stuff happening in town. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's sort of like an era of consultation, it yeah. feels like. Let's maybe start there. There's a couple things that are happening right now in Edmonton about uh, arts and heritage and, uh, and consultation. Uh, as always, um, we're thinking about where where is where is arts and culture going in in this city? You know what uh, what does it need? What does the scene need? Uh, what is it lacking? And and obviously the city and and the various levels of government around us are also thinking about this because there are a lot of things happening right now. Yeah, well, one of the main things that's happening, and um, a lot of our listeners may um, may have already been involved in some of this, is the Edmonton Arts Council is working on their um, next ten year plan for arts and heritage uh, and it's so it's to go to 2029 should mm-hmm. be released in 2019 um, and uh, this is to follow up from the last 10-year plan uh, which was called the art of living which wrapped up in I guess this year in 2018 right 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 so that was yeah that was the 10-year plan that sort of uh, did a lot of uh, guiding uh, for for how uh, government and funding bodies and uh, approach the arts in in Edmonton and was sort of a, a very unique plan it's it's rare to see um, uh, so much work put into something like that. And so over 10 years, it uh, it accomplished some things. There were things like the microgrants program that came out of that that seemed very uh, successful and acclaimed. Uh, there were some things that, um, due to no fault of anyone's, uh, didn't uh, didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in a, in a plan like this, things are some things will obviously end up taking uh, a lot of energy and, and expertise, and some things will sort of fall by the wayside. There were there was a bit of that, I think, in in the art of living, uh, of course. But uh, now we are. That's done. That's concluded. And now we're looking ahead to the future. A lot can change in ten years. Yeah, and I'm, I, it's kind of interesting to to just sort of know how the consultations for art of living happen. And um, over 10 years ago now, mm-hmm. um, and the kind of like the the format that they took and the amount of people that were consulted, I think were really different than how it's being gone about this time around. Um, now the people, anyone can actually co- um, contribute mm-hmm. to um, this new 2029 Arts and Heritage um plan. And the EAC is trying to encourage many people to do that in three different ways. Um, So the first way, they're having a series of engagement sessions. Uh, They've done this with major sectors of the performing arts. They've done it with festivals, all Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. I know they're still continuing to do those this month with um, uh, specific disciplines. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, if there's a dance, there's a dance session, there's um, a literary art session, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, we're going to post all of the information about getting to these um, uh, and getting to them through the EAC website on our own um, page so that after you listen to this episode, you can go and see if right. you can actually because do any of it. We care about the arts, and we would like to make sure that everyone who also cares about the arts uh, takes the takes the time and has the opportunity and knows how to uh, contribute to that discussion as a 10-year plan. 10 years is a long time. So 
It's a long time to lock into a plan for. So the more the more thoughts on it, the better. We've got to make sure there's lots of voices on this. And I think I heard somewhere that the EAC's goal is to get over 10,000 data points cool. from Edmontonians on the new plan. Um, So uh, one way they're also trying to do that is through the Yeg culture map. Cool. Um, And this is where you can actually go onto the Yeg culture map website, um, which is part of the EAC website. You can... um, plant a lob stick essentially mm-hmm. yeah it's a little uh, map a little google map or google style map i don't know if it's a google map of, of edmonton yeah you can plant a lob stick with your favorite arts and heritage memory or culture and heritage memory um and to date there's not a lot of lob sticks on there yet yeah yeah and it's it's you uh, by planting a lob stick what you're committing to is basically um saying what uh, they're asking what do you want to see for arts and heritage in edmonton in the next 10 years in your own words it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, a, a carefully uh, elegant bulleted list. It can be a thoughts. It can be a poem. It can be uh, whatever you want. But they, they're hoping people plant those lobsticks and, and engage in that way about talking about what they do want to see and maybe what's been missing or what they see could be a, an opportunity. Yeah. I mean, from the, some of the ones I've seen up there, they can be shorter than a tweet. Yeah. So you can just go and, you know, th- throw up some things up there that, you know, you find really meaningful or have found meaningful or there, maybe there's an undeveloped spot that you want to see more action on. Sure. I think that that's a great way to use it too. Yeah, there's also uh, self-guided questionnaires uh, where you can share your vision for the future of the arts and heritage sector in Edmonton. Uh, yeah, and we will have uh, links to that uh, coming at you because yeah, there's a lot. Uh, there's a lot going on. If I think back to the art scene ten years ago. Uh, and the changes, uh, you know, and even opportunities in that time that have arisen, things like the Galleria Project, which just uh, was looking to be a very major um, new sort of art center, mm-hmm. arts area in town, but has recently uh, just declared it was sort of no longer pursuing uh, that. It was sort of effectively um, ending its its uh, its uh, search. I don't I don't know the word I'm looking for, but it was ending its uh, attempts to make that a reality for now. Yeah, or at least a reality in the way that it was framed and put forward. I think that um, there was a lot of consultation on that project through the with the arts community. Um, I mean, we did see a lot of interesting press on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that Paula Simons and Liz Nichols both wrote extended pieces about it. Um, also trying to figure out why no one from the arts community was really weighing in on the Galleria. Um, well, you know... It, they were trying to, um, but also, of course, the artist, the arts community. Whenever someone says we're building a new venue, no one wants to say no, 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 don't build it. We don't want it like that, mm-hmm. um, or we don't want one that's like that. Um, they still do want arts venues to be built. Right. Um, we and we do we do need venues. We need healthy venues, but we also need feasible and accessible venues. Right. The the biggest point in the Art of Living plan ten years ago. Uh, the biggest sort of. Of the the five or six points that were its main focus in the art side of things, the biggest one was space, and mm-hmm. so uh, and so with with that in mind, one thing we're we're hoping is to uh, uh, to to engage uh, ourselves in this. We're going to on on our various feeds uh, put up sort of an an anonymous questionnaire. We're hoping you engage with the the current planning, and then uh, and then say uh, what you felt was lacking, what you felt was present, what you wanted to see more of, what you thought they were doing right. Uh, anything that comes to mind when you look at actually how this is being phrased and uh, put forward as as a consultation. We know a lot of the people who do listen, listen to this podcast are in the arts community. So for those who are doing that or for those uh, on the sides who are supporters or fans or audiences, um, what do you see and what do you see that's maybe 
uh, in those consultations and what isn't. And we're hoping to uh, collect those and then follow up in a future episode with uh, with bringing those uh, forward and seeing what happens. Yeah, what's working? And have you been part of some of these facilitated sessions about mm-hmm. the 2029 plan? Um, did you feel heard? And were you part of the art of living? How did you feel about how that worked in the end? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really great time. Um, I'm glad to see... So much consultation happening. Totally. You just kind of also want to make sure like, yeah, how how is it really working? Because, I mean, I will say one thing about the 2029 survey, the questionnaire that got sent out. Mm-hmm. These are very, very big questions on that survey. <laughs> They're paragraphs long. And, you know, you're you're trying to figure out you know the crux of a question and and there it's an open survey so that mm-hmm. it's not an abcd answer you write an answer right, to these right. questions essay um, style yeah essay. you know um so one of the questions existing arts and heritage organizations have done a lot to build the community in our city for the past 5 decades however as we move into the future they may need to adapt and change how can we maintain the value and relevance of the existing arts and heritage organizations in our community I have worked in the existing arts and heritage community for 10 years now, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to freaking answer that question. Okay. Like, you know, it's that's it's pretty loaded. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, really hoping that there's there are ways to get some um, some answers that are meaningful, um, but also that people aren't just intimidated to answer. Right. Um, and I think that that's possibly a challenge with the way that it's put out there right now. Cool. But we will see. Yeah. Cool. So with that in mind, uh, I think it's time for an ad. Yeah. This month's episode of the Well Endowed podcast features a long-form interview with Anne McClellan, who is the chair of the federal government's Task Force on Cannabis Legalization and Regulation. She walks listeners through the legalization of marijuana in Canada from A to Z. The Well Endowed podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, and you can find that and previous episodes at wellendowedpodcast.com. So Fonda, it's finally time. It's time. Actually, uh, not yet, but not yet right now, but yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, this is the next segment of this episode is a review of Betroffin Height, uh, which has sort of been a thing, uh, a thing we've been very excited to see yes. uh, since this was coming here. But we're recording this in advance, uh, so uh, so we don't know how it is right now. No actual spoilers or anything. There's yeah. There's only still anticipation, bloody mm-hmm. anticipation. Until <laughs> until right now, when we when we throw to the review. Hey everyone. So um, I'm here with our uh, long silent producer Andrew Paul. <laughs> Hello, Fonda. How's it going? Pretty good. Um, we've just come out of the the opening night performance of Betroffenheit, um, the you know much and highly anticipated dance performance uh, co-created by Crystal Pite and Jonathan Young of the Electric Company and Kid Pivot. And um, yeah, I guess we're 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 gonna we're gonna talk about it, or we're gonna try and talk about it. <laughs> oh, so much to talk about <laughs> this one for sure. So, um, Andrew, since you're not Paul, maybe just give us a little bit of a of um, a, a rundown of of your experience watching dance, and even particularly your experience of watching Kid Pivot. Yes, well, you actually started bringing me to dance shows uh, going on about eight years ago, I think, uh, and. We saw Dark Matters, which is another production by uh, Crystal Pites' company, uh, Kid Pivot, uh, in 2010 or 2011. 
And it was also at the Citadel Theater, and we had seen some other uh, contemporary dance shows before that, but Dark Matters was sort of the show where I think I finally got it. Uh, it was by far um, a show that I continue to think of, uh, think about uh, today whenever people bring up. So what is the best live show that you've ever seen? Dark Matters is definitely uh, up there. And what, what about it made it so good? Like, you know, not only just as, as a dance show, but as an overall theatrical presentation. Uh, yeah, well, I don't think I've been to a show since that literally made me jump out of my seat in shock. <laughs> <laughs> With Dark Matters... Uh, it was sort of split into two acts, much like Betroffenheit was, and we'll get to this in a little bit. But it started off in a little bit more heavy narrative style, uh, and at intermission, they literally broke the set. So, like, these huge walls, like, come crashing down, the whole light rack from the ceiling drops uh, and just scares the living heck out of the entire audience. Because it looks like the theater is actually falling falling down. down. (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy until all that's left is just a bare concrete wall of the actual theater at the back of the stage, which you, you know, would never ever see uh, as an audience member uh, usually. That's when it snaps to intermission blackout and and, and everyone is just like, you know, like breathing, you know, trying to gather themselves um, and it tees you up of course, for the second act, which was mostly pure dance. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, and that was very much the structure of uh, Betroffenheit as well. Crystal Pite, she really sets up sort of context through a little bit more traditional narrative so that you can go into the second act and really get into just some pure dance uh, with some context and your head is in the right frame of mind to really get the most out of the more pure uh, dance portion of the show. Yeah, so let's let's chew on this in Betroffenheit or Betroffenheit for for a bit. What um what does the term Betroffenheit mean? Betroffenheit, uh, I believe, is a German word uh, that means being struck by an event to the point where you don't really have words to describe it anymore. So in the case of the show, uh, there's this moment of trauma that happens in the protagonist's life that has severely affected him. And the show is sort of taking us into uh, his mind or a particular part of his mind a room yeah to be I, like, like a dingy sort of you know um industrial i don't think is the right word but it looks it looks like a like institutional um yeah, in some and way run down and like really grimy so the set when the curtain comes up or the lights come up is these two walls and there's like this electrical conduit running down there's like a weird gross fluorescent light hanging from the ceiling above this double door on one of the the walls in the corner uh, where the walls meet is this uh, it looks like a breaker box uh, mm-hmm. like an electrical breaker box uh, and Jonathan Young, uh, who is the protagonist um, in, in the show, is sort of crouched kind of in the dark in the corner uh, underneath this um, breaker box. And coming out of the breaker box and out of this big beam that's in the middle of the room are these like snaking kind of coiled wires that sort of stretch uh, across the stage and like up the walls. And yeah, it is just really creepy, run down, uh, almost like a hospital mm-hmm. uh kind of feel or an to asylum, it or an asylum of, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah what did you think about how they opened the show i um i mean between the flashing lights that had there there was sort of 
a, a lot of weird atmospheric sound, kind of, you know, like sort of like dull droning, but sounded electric a little bit. And then the um, the, the wires that are snaked all along the ground, they start moving on their own. And because of how odd and creepy that looks, I think that you don't notice that Jonathan Young is sitting in the corner. I couldn't really tell if he was sitting there from the top or if they somehow he somehow got in there after a few seconds because the light the, there was a lot of strobing a lot of um you know kind of darker moments where you couldn't really see what was happening but you then you would notice that when the lights flickered back on that the cords had moved like dramatically so you know they started they started kind of like snaking up the walls and faster and faster and eventually uh Jonathan gets up and starts manipulating them himself um unplugging them from this breaker box and all these things yeah, I have to say when the the cable started moving immediately, I was just like, oh my God, okay, we're in for like a freaking <laughs> ride here. Like, oh, I just got like these weird chills and it's like, oh, this is, this is going to go some very crazy places, this show. Yeah, and I'm, you know, it's, uh, it's no secret in the show notes and everything that the show is based around an actual tragedy and trauma that Jonathan Young experienced. He lost his daughter and niece and nephew in a tragic fire um, number of years ago. I think it was in 2009. And so this show um, came out of, um, you know, uh, Jonathan Young and Crystal Pite's process um, trying to deal with the traumatized mind you know and and see you can really you can tell like you it, it's it's pretty easy to get that like when the other characters in the room emerge that they're parts of him um all of the voiceover and um sound that you do hear the voices that are talking to him essentially even when they're mouthed by other characters it's still all jonathan's voice so you know very well that you're in his head yeah. Uh, well, maybe we can talk a little bit about the sound design. So Jonathan recorded uh, hours of dialogue and they went through and like parsed out uh, what eventually ended in, in the script. The, that dialogue was very effective, I found, mm -hmm. uh, in the overall show. Because the first part of the show wasn't like a straight narrative. Uh, it's not like telling you a story per se, but because of the dialogue, uh, you really do get a sense of like, what is going on and where you're at, mm -hmm. which is in Jonathan's mind and how this room is a place that he retreats to in his own mind to escape having to deal with the trauma that had happened, mm -hmm. but it's definitely not a happy place. Yeah. It seems it's, they, they kind of really waffled between this, like, um, the, uh, like a place of protection, but also, um, a place like a trap, you know, like he's, he's imprisoned there, but it's, you know, they don't want him to go anywhere else because it's, because it's this sort of, um, it's the risk of, of re-entering, re-entering the trauma again, right? And they use this uh, this term, chronic re-entry. He's suffering from chronic re-entry to um, the tragedy that um, that really, really just... And it, I think what it did best really was build atmosphere and just kind of that, that really, really um, trapped, uh, trapped feeling of, of uh, sadness and confusion. Um, but also um, really built on how you were supposed to feel about the movement that was happening in the second act. But before we get there, 
let's just chat about actually what was happening on stage in the first act because mm-hmm. it was it was a show. Um, they keep talking about how the whole show is set to go, the whole show, you know, um, and that uh, that actually sound bit is available on the trailer that we posted uh, with the previous episode. Um, interviewing the sound designers, Megro and Alessandro Giuliani. So you get a sense of what that really sounded like. And it sounds, it sounds claustrophobic and anxious. And, um, you know, you get really, really do get this sense of, um, that he's, that he's stuck in a loop. And the, there's these five characters that show up that are kind of helping him, but also kind of trying to push him along so that, he gets out of the loop. Um, I mean, in particular, um, and iconically, visually really brilliant, um, was the one who plays this sort of strange clown character, Tiffany Tregarthen. Um, Just her face, her expression, the way she moves in really inhuman sort of crab-like, I don't know. (laughs) It kind of reminds me of movements similar to like uh, the movies The Ring, where... You know, the, that creepy girl climbs out of the TV, like very kind of jerky and uh, disjointed movements. Yeah. Uh, and there's this, like, this shudder sort of yeah, sense to yeah, everything. Yeah. It's just like it's you don't even need a strobe light. She just is able to like shake like that. Um, and and also just the expression on her face is sort of like consistent, either silent scream or really, really sinister grin. Um, just and of, she's wearing a really, really... Um, a sort of uh, overdone clown makeup too, so you can really see her teeth and her, like it's just terrifying. Yeah, it is. She was terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> and a great mover. So, but also like we were talking, uh, you know, about the the text or the dialogue uh, in the in the sound uh, design here. And what I also really liked, and one of the first real bits of like dance and movement that we saw was actually uh, Jermaine uh, Spivy or Spivy. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name actually moving to the dialogue uh so literally embodying the words that uh, are coming out of you know the uh, the speakers mm-hmm. yeah how did you feel uh, about that how did that play for you i think in a in a way it took uh, sort of like a traditional dance pantomime to a, the next level i mean it looked like they were doing sort of more like uh crunk style street dance while they were animating the words of say a, like a psychiatrist or something um or or someone who was trying to talk him out of you know a bad a bad spot um but the way they would animate their bodies on stage it was it wasn't like you know you see like a very classical ballet pantomime super gestural um this was like that too but it had a very different quality to it like you kind of you said that you know that sort of like jerky very um uh sort of abrupt movement um that like really still kind of like set the tone and pace for all everything else that was happening in the mind you have this frenetic uh mind yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. um yeah it was very detailed like pop locking work (laughs) you know yeah um so the other movement piece that i kind of wanted to point out in the first act was the tap sequences um there's a one character played by david raymond who sort of is like the the tap lead um brilliant dancer i realized later that we have seen him before um in when he came through with wenwei wang a number of years ago but also did um brilliant solo work at the expanse festival while it was still at the roxy um i remember that solo to this day you know how 
how just isolated and and um, strong his body seemed in it, and also um, the the piece seemed to be about anxiety. But I remember I rem- saw him on stage and I thought, oh my gosh, I yes. I know that I've seen this before, um, but as a as a tapper and as a character in this piece, it was um, was kind of more aggressive, and he sort of leads this one part where it's just like this very kind of an aggressive marching band almost like they came out all in tap shoes and they're they're tapping on a marley floor which sounds very different than tapping on wood. Um, yeah, it's had a, sort of like a wet kind of like. Um, trudging sound but yeah but in any case you know they're they're doing this tap um and kind of uh pushing jonathan young's character along the stage to and fro and and of course you know he's very intimidated by this group that just seems to be marching at him um but and of course the sound in that was really um really effective the sound of the feet yeah absolutely uh and we get to see uh sort of this like chorus of characters uh, as well like in the show because the show does go off uh you know we kept hearing the line the show is you know set to go and then it and then it, it goes it goes <laughs> and so yeah we get to see these this cast of characters together and almost like um well it's very meta it's like a show within a show mm-hmm. and then eventually we get to see the backstage of the show within the show because D- jonathan's in crisis and they're like what do we do what do we do but it's all still jonathan's voice yelling what, what do we do and so and <laughs> there's this great great meta moment where um there's one line says it, it's all pre-recorded anyway give him the mic and you know despite them actually using mics throughout the entire show almost all of the spoken word in it is Jonathan's pre-recorded voice. So that was just like a funny, you know, aha moment, like, you know, calling calling more meta into that part of the show. Yeah, and, and the show within a show is um, sort of like this, had this sort of a, like a 70s, 60s, 70s Vegas show kind of style, but also like very vaudevillian, I, I, I felt. And some great puppet work in this part of the show. The first one being Jonathan coming out through these double doors in one of the the walls. And it was was his head, uh, and he was wearing this black uh, (laughs) turtleneck. But the body of the puppet was sort of like draping off of his neck in front of his torso. It's his head on a tiny body. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. and uh, a couple of the other uh, performers were operating his legs and arms uh, of the puppet. And that was hilarious. It was was a great bit of comic relief uh, to sort of lighten the mood. Yeah, Uh, yeah. And yeah, and, and hilarious. Uh, but there's also a couple other moments where uh, some puppet work happened uh, mm-hmm. as well. Um, so in the show, um, Jermaine uh, Spivey or Spivey sort of plays Jonathan's alter ego, and he's also t- um, becomes a puppet at one point. And Jonathan's operating this puppet, and it's more of a traditional. Uh, it's not quite a marionette. It kind of reminded me of a uh, like a dummy, um, you know, yeah. like an, uh, you mm-hmm. know one of those old school, uh, you know, wooden, wooden <laughs> dolls. Dummies. Uh, yeah, dummies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Jonathan's puppet work was fantastic. That puppet was like alive, and yeah, just the subtle movements of the the Germain puppet. Really, I mean, and the thing, the interesting thing is that the puppet, that puppet was mostly laying on the ground. Um, and so even just these like sort of subtle movements of him and the puppet talking to each other, again, only in his own voice. Um, and uh, yeah, the way that he was able to animate the puppet um, with actually not having any other strings on the puppet. He was really only manipulating the puppet's head. The head, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when the puppet did stand up and at the end of the 
that sequence with the puppet, I was expecting the puppet to start walk off the stage on its own. Uh, and uh, I was kind of on the edge of my seat at this point. I was like, is that puppet going to like take a step? Yeah. So you know there is nothing really controlling its legs and arms because it was all Jonathan uh, manipulating the head. I tell you, if that puppet would have taken a step, I would have lost my <laughs> damn mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was, it kind of, he, he ends with the puppet sort of on this like really, really sustained pause of him and the puppet just standing in stillness on the stage the puppet is looking off stage left and you're just the audience is just like cued in waiting for that puppet to freaking move or something and and what ends up happening is more that jonathan goes into this actual spiral and the and that's when the the meta part kind of really takes off again ending intermission with this really sort of like interesting moment that um the where you know jermaine's character this alter ego um you know you see <laughs> you see jonathan young's character being sort of like wheeled away in a tiny box like a jack in the box and the alter ego's character just breaking down in the corner like in the corner very off to the side and sort of in the fake backstage of yeah, in the, the show. Yeah, in the, in the fake show. backstage after all of the characters have seemingly like started fretting about how if he's if he's going to pull out pull through or not. Um and then so then the second act very much like in Dark Matters, we just get um we we get teed straight up to be shot into a world of dance for the second act and um, the just the choreography, you know, like to, in the in the first half, you kind of think, well, is this a dance show? Could this really be a dance show? It's super theatrical. It's very dense between all of the sound and stuff that's happening on stage. A lot of costume, a lot of um, you know, changeover, and a lot of sort of like very meta humor. Um, but the second act, the stage is bare. There's just a single pillar um, lighting, and and the dancers and the dancers have lost all of their costume. They've lost all of the clown makeup. Um, they are just people and it becomes, it starts becoming clear that they are the people who, um, or at least they're supposed to in some tangential way, look like the people who, who were affected by this trauma. And the, the movement that comes out is just, I mean, Crystal Pite is a fantastic choreographer. I think it's been said a bazillion times. Um, but there's moments of the movement that are just so emotional and so, simple um you know like from all of them sort of like standing in tableau to just be you know start rocking together you know and it's just like a couple inches back and forth but they're doing it all together and you just it locks onto your brain like it feels almost soothing um after all of the like trauma and and sadness that you're witnessing um yeah but the there's another uh moment with two the the two female dancers in duet um and they're you know they're kind of like they're touching their face and they're touching their pockets and things like that like they don't know what to do with their hands they don't know you know i mean the idea of mothers just sprung to mind right away um mm -hmm. but then and then they start doing this same rock together and it's just it's heart-wrenching yeah there's this other moment as well well, uh, where there's these strobed moments in time where the lights will flash up for just like a brief second and you'll have this scene of these people um, sort of standing around. Uh, obviously, it felt like maybe at the scene of the trauma, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Then the lights go dark and come up again and it's that same scene, but maybe like five minutes later and everybody sort of changed position and it's just this another mm -hmm. very 
emotionally charged snapshot of these uh, characters. Um, and yeah, uh, people are up in arms. Their their like faces are showing grief, grief. or yeah. silent screams, yeah. or like it's it is. Yeah, it is super emotional, and the entire the entire first half is like built you up to this to to understanding how awful, but also how beautiful it is. Um, this there's this shared grief and trauma that you know they're they're projecting in 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 a way of in in a way to help heal. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was just a stunning, like really stunning, affecting way um, to see dance. I mean, when you think about it, there was much less text. There was much less spoken um, in the second half uh, sound design wise, but you felt it so strongly. Um, and I did just want to like point out that the solo that ends the show um, Jermaine Spivy's solo is probably one of the most stunningly beautiful contemporary male solos that I have seen um, in 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 a decade. Um, he has this just in, insanely beautiful way of moving, unconventional turns and falls, um, and he has this this kind of signature move where he's picking up his knees, mm, yeah. um, and it's just kind of like that. It's almost a literal, just sort of like one step at a time, pick yourself up, get, get to the next, next step, one more step, you know? And it was just this really, um, kind of literal, but also, um, just like a beautiful way. You're just like, you want him to pick up that other knee. Come on, do one more, you know, one more step. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, that was Betroffenheit. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So we went into the show with like very high expectations. Did it meet those expectations for you? Yes. I think that in the first half, I was just kind of like, is this getting there for me? Is it getting there? And it's like an insanely good theatrical piece of work. Um, you know, they have all of the components there. Everything is there. Where it really came home for me was in the second half, in the in the dance, the pure dance of it. I That just hit it hit it straight home for me. I felt like, you know, when you see the choreography just that has been infused with meaning for the first, you know, hour already, you're just ready to receive that movement. Um, and maybe it's a trick in that way, right? Like it is a way to give maybe a non-traditional dance viewing audience a way in. Just like, you're going to get this because you sat through this entire really tough, crazy ass first half. You feel like you have this very good understanding about the mind and what it's about, this PTSD that they're illustrating for you. By the time the dance starts happening, you the feeling is so strong that you can actually really just enjoy and notice the movement more. There were parts of like when Jonathan Young came back out and was there, I think it was part with uh, Jermaine as well. Um, <laughs> he just, you know, uh, Jonathan standing straight up and Jermaine kind of like does a cartwheel sort of in front of him and it hooks his, he hooks his foot around Jonathan's neck mm -hmm. and it just ended up kind of like spiraling into this other, this other tableau that you didn't really expect. And I was just kind of, you know, because I wasn't sitting and worrying, like, what is this about? What's going on here? What are they getting at? There was none of that. You're just able to really absorb the dance and just feel feel what you know what they're what they want you to feel. And I think that that is like actually the brilliance of this collaboration um, and this company. And I mean, it's why it's it's being uh, acclaimed and touring on it now in its fourth year touring internationally. 
my one thought was, you know, we were talking to someone at intermission a little bit too about, does this piece have legs without Jonathan? Because it's such a personal tragedy and you know that it's him on stage. You know, it took me, it took me, I I was sort of doubtful in the first half, but after the final solo, I think that, I think that this dance, this show could go for a very, very long time with, you know, with, with the score that they have. Yes, it's been built on this company, but it's so well done and put together that I, I do think it could, as you say, it it will have legs, um, for, for quite some time if it can be duplicated. The Petroffenheit replica? (laughs) (laughs) The Petroffenheit replica. Um, yeah, well, you know, harking to Crystal Pite's previous, uh, Thing that came a uh, piece that came through Edmonton, the Tempest replica. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, letting me hop in front of the microphone. I feel like I've just been rambling on, and I feel like I could ramble on about this show for quite some time. I think, I think, I think time. we probably could. We've almost we've rambled for about a half an hour now, so <laughs> so we'll stop here. And um, uh, Paul will be forever jealous that he missed this one. <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> And there you have it. Yeah. That's Betroffenheit. It was. It sure was. Great. Uh, which, to me, sounds like it's prime time for another ad. Yeah, I think so. Okay. The Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, is proud to be a sponsor of this year's Pod Summit, Western Canada's podcast conference. Join APN on May 5th at CKUA for a day of learning and connection making and some amazing giveaways. If you have a podcast, you'll learn how to grow your audience and create a show your listeners will love. If you don't have a podcast, you'll learn how to start one and get familiar with Alberta's podcasting community. Tickets are just $150 and they are limited, so don't delay. Get yours now at podsummit.com. Cool. Well, what's coming up, Fonda? Let's get into the next little while in the Edmonton theater and dance scenes. So many things. So classic School for Scandal is happening at Studio Theater, which is at the University of Alberta, uh, March 29th through April 7th. Cool. Cleave, uh, presented by Tiny Bear Jaws, is happening at the ATB Arts Barns backstage from March 27th until April 7th. Um, Undercover is happening at the Citadel Club April 4th through 29th, which is an improv show, an improv murder mystery show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where you might be the gumshoe, in fact. Ooh. Uh, cool. Uh, Slut by Brenda McFarlane is the next Northern Light Theater show. It's running uh, from April 6th until April 14th at the ATB Arts Barns. Uh, and Going to St. Ives uh, with the Varscona Theatre Ensemble, uh, starring Belinda Cornish and Patricia Darbacy, directed by Julian Arnold. That's running April 5th to 14th at um, the Varscona. Mm-hmm. Was... It's the Varscona Theatre Ensemble. Mm-hmm. I didn't write the venue down, but I assume that's where it is. <laughs> cool. And that's happening April 5th to 14th. And then uh, Edmonton Opera is producing uh, Don Giovanni uh, on April 14th, 17th, and 20th. That's one of the big, sexy Italian operas. So I'm nice. um, excited about that. Great. Um, yeah, and I think I think we'll leave it at that for now. Of course, we have all sorts of things happening all the way until the end of June, the end of the season. Right, we're in the thick of the, the last leg here. Yeah, but please do um, visit our website, check out some of those links, and uh, leave us your thoughts on some of the consultation processes. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, and uh, we will hear from you and you will hear from us again uh but not on this podcast yeah. uh that was a dumb line i'm moving on uh where this <laughs> the podcast is over everyone thank you so much for listening go see some shows bye
I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blenov. Sit here thinking, my love.